man, this is a good hockey team. You go right ahead and get down on them whenever they lose a one-goal game to the Rangers or whatever. I am telling you, this is a good, good hockey team that still has its best hockey in front of it. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. Penguins 4, Wild 3 in overtime last night in St. Paul. The Penguins blew a two-goal lead and then ended up getting the winning shove across the goal line in OT from Evgeny Malkin, who needed three cracks to beat Cam Talbot, who finally had to pull his toe off the far post. It wasn't always pretty, and it was outright disheartening when Jason Zucker sustained what looked like a pretty serious leg injury there right after working for months to come back from core muscle surgery. Doesn't even last a period. That's tough on a whole collective as athletes in all sports will tell you when they see a teammate go down, not only because of concern and empathy for the teammate, but also there's a part of it that hits them too. That could be me. I could be that guy who battled back and battled back and then boom, I was gone again. It's just a matter of lousy luck and it all happens to be hitting poor Zucker at the same time. But they didn't fold. They still, even after Minnesota tied early in the third period, the Penguins kept performing the way they're supposed to perform when they're applying their system across the board. And they did this against an opponent that had just won seven in a row and is in a pretty meaningful and tight playoff race over in the Western Conference. Oh, by the way, also on their ice. And with Casey DeSmith in goal. So there's all kinds of adversity to overcome at the risk of being mean. But they did. They did. And they were coming in waves. Five on five. They were mostly effective, even though they only ended up getting the one goal on the power play. And even though the Wild took more than their share of cheap shots, which really isn't in their historic DNA, but they've kind of become that type of team over the past couple seasons. You didn't see the Penguins get dumb. You didn't see them start chasing people around. Even Mark Friedman, who was doing his thing and agitating people and shoving someone after they didn't even take a shot on DeSmith after the whistle, but they had reached the stick back as if they were going to, and then Friedman goes and gets in his face. Even Friedman didn't lose it. They just kept playing, playing pretty well, and winning. And they've done that against 
all of the top teams in the National Hockey League, except for the very top team in the National Hockey League. And that's the one they're facing in their next, not one, but two games. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. You could tell that the loss to the Rangers bugged the Penguins. I am joking about the fans' reaction to it, but the players took it hard. For a lot of the same reasons that they were as eager as they were to beat the Hurricanes just once in the regular season so they could carry that into a potential playoff meeting, they wanted to finish strong against the Rangers, the team that they're currently lined up against. And I don't want to say almost certainly, but it's really starting to look like you can book rooms in Manhattan. And one of the statements that stood out to me after that game came from Jake Gensel when he said, we have more to give. We have another level. And that was pretty powerful in the moment because that is absolutely what you have to be thinking, not only because of who you'll be lining up against in the playoffs, but also because it's true. So what happens in this game in St. Paul? Jake goes out, might have been the best player on the rink, was just everywhere. And I'm not even just talking about the rebound goal that he scored. And listen to his assessment after this game. felt like a playoff game out there. That was just an intense game all around. I mean, they're a good team. They play hard at home. Um, I thought we had a complete game, and that was... It's good of an effort that we could uh, we could have. So just uh, it's nice to come on the road and get that one for us. He's right. It was like a playoff game, not just because of the intensity and the rough stuff and whatever else here, but because of the caliber of the opponent, because of the adversity, because of the road setting, because of Zucker getting hurt, because at one point it looked like Gino himself had gotten banged up. These are things you have to overcome in a common playoff setting. And they did that. They found some other level. If there's one pattern that you can set in stone about this hockey team right from the season opener in Tampa, it's that they've been unswayed. They've been undeterred. That is a tremendous quality for a team to have develop over the course of a full winter, never mind to start out with it. I am a believer in this hockey team. I'm not making any grand predictions. I'm not getting into, yeah, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, because all kinds of things can change along the way. And I know everybody will be playing it back in two or three months if things don't go well. But I'm a believer in the constitution, in the makeup of this team beyond just the skill and the speed and everything else that you see. I really like the stuff that they're made of. When we come back, just one question.
today's J1Q comes from Mike, who asks, is the Penguins' main problem that they have the most expensive defensive core and yet are regularly underachieving on the blue line? We can talk all about Casey DeSmith and other teams' transitions, but don't the D-men at some point have to step up and make plays also? Yes, Mike. That is my answer to you. It is yes to all of that, except for one thing. Your implication at the very beginning is that the Penguins have some list of problems and that this is the main problem. That, to me, is taking an unnecessarily negative view of a hockey team that's won 41 games and counting. I'll repeat from the opening segment, this is a good, good team. There's a lot there, and there might still be even more. The defensive core, that said, is in fact the highest paid in the NHL and is not the best in the NHL. As is true in all sports, you don't always get what you pay for. Sometimes you get a big bargain and sometimes you you get something that's closer to this. The Penguins don't fit the mold of the way NHL defensive uh, groups are structured payroll-wise. And that's usually you're paying guys on your top pairing and then everybody else is either younger or somewhere in that two to three million dollar range. The Penguins have a lot of guys who are in the four range, and that's actually what pushes them up, in addition to having the number one defenseman being paid like one in Latang at 7.25. And even at their fringes, they're paying. Let's remember that Marcus Pedersen's a $4 million player who was a healthy scratch for this game last night. And that's why anytime I talk about Next season, where are the Penguins going to get the money from with a salary cap only going up by a million dollars? Where are they going to find the space to cover Gino and Brian Rust and Ricard Raquel and, all well, for that matter, Latang? How are they going to pull that off? I firmly believe that it's going to be the defensive core that symbolically pays for this. You're going to see whether it's a Pedersen or someone else like that move out and you give P.O. Joseph coming in on an entry-level contract, uh, it makes for a much more palatable distribution. And I share your view, of course, that you would want all six of them or seven of them or whatever it is to be impact players. They aren't. But the one thing that I have liked and respected about this group just within the context of this one season, is that when one individual or one pairing has gotten down, another one has risen up. And it's been really unpredictable if you try to think back over it, which one it'll be. You know who I thought was the best defenseman on the ice last night? And bear in mind, I'm in Florida covering baseball, so I watched it on a laptop. I thought it was Brian Dumoulin. And two weeks ago, we're wondering if Dumoulin's done when Mike Matheson stepped up and made a bunch of plays. 
that's not the worst dynamic to have. Uh, in a group of six or seven defensemen, you want different people to be able to respond. It's not ideal. It's not your dream scenario. There's a reason that Mike Sullivan and the coaches preach so strenuously that the forwards have to come back because the Penguins are not a great team at defending when they're stuck inside their own zone. And that's in large part because of the defensemen. But yeah, I I can't, I'm not feeling you when it comes to painting the defensive group as a weakness. It's not that. It's it, it's that relative to contracts. But once you're out on the ice, man, that stuff doesn't matter at all. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. I'm flying home from the baseball coverage later today, and I'll be back to cover the next home game against the Avalanche. By that point, that'll have been the second game, and we'll see how that goes even with Colorado not having Nathan McKinnon for a while. That should still be interesting. The Avs have, oh, just, they have too much. They have way too much. We'll talk again Monday.